Okay, good morning, everybody. For all of our guests who have no clue really what's going on and what you're about to experience, uh, we have been in a lesson series called Ugly Christmas Sweaters. Just don't wear them. And somewhere along the line, we had this great idea that all the pastors should find the ugliest sweater they could find and wear it while they were preaching. Didn't dawn on me how stupid an idea that was until Pastor Sam was up here on the first Sunday with jingle bells on his sweater, and every time he'd go, Jesus, he'd go, ding ling 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 <laughs> So, uh, I'm going to show you mine, and it is quite ugly. I put on 15 pounds this week just so it would be so form-fitting. <laughs> Can you see it good? Santa riding a shark, kittens riding tacos. Once again, it didn't dawn on me that everybody's going to be looking at this and not paying attention to what I'm saying. So if at any time during my message your mind starts to wander just focus on the shark throwing up a rainbow, okay? In the Gospels, we are told about uh, a couple of disciples who were trusted companions of Jesus. Uh, they both traveled with him. They both were anointed to, be, to do ministry and sent out by Jesus to do that. They, were, uh, they both saw the miracles that Jesus did. They both heard all the messages and all the teachings that Jesus gave. They uh, were both at the Last Supper, and Jesus washed the feet of both of them. They were both in the, the upper ranks of Jesus' ministry. They were both a part of the 12 that were closest to Jesus. One was a treasurer in his ministry, and one was one of the three that, that Jesus pulled even closer to him. But they both betrayed him. One for money, and one for fear of punishment. And both, when they recognized what they had done, were ashamed. Of course, I'm talking about Peter and Judas. Peter betrayed Jesus when he denied that he even knew him. He betrayed Jesus when Jesus needed him most. Covered in shame, the Bible tells us that, that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. And when we read that, that's not just a little, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. He wept bitterly. There was anguish in his soul. I'm sure there was lots of snot and slobber to show how bitter and how hurt he was and how ashamed that he was that he had denied Jesus. Judas, we know the story. Betrayed Jesus, took money to tell them where Jesus was. 
But the Bible tells us that when he realized what he had done, he regretted it. And he took the money back to the religious leaders and then covered in shame, he went out and hung himself. Shame brings destruction in our lives. The enemy wants to to use shame to absolutely destroy what the Lord wants to do in our lives. So our ugly Christmas sweater this morning, besides this one, is shame. Shame is defined as the painful feeling arising from the awareness of something dishonorable or improper. That's the dictionary definition. The painful feeling arising from the awareness of something dishonorable or improper. The Greek word translated shame in the New Testament means the confusion of someone who is disgraced or dishonored. So shame lives in our emotions. It lives in our our mind. And it brings the feelings of disgrace. It brings an acute awareness of pain because of something we've done or something that's been done to us. In a spiritual sense, since we're in church, we're going to talk about the spiritual sense. Shame is a tactic used by the enemy to keep us bound and wounded by our past. And this morning, I want to show you the destruction that comes with shame, but I want to contrast it with the freedom that comes with God's grace. And just so we're all on the same page, grace is God's undeserved favor and influence that he freely gives us into our lives. Okay? All right, so here's here's our first contrast. Shame separates, but grace initiates. Shame separates, but grace initiates. Shame is a demonic argument against the grace of God. Shame is a demonic argument against the grace of God. I'm going to repeat a lot of this because I want it to get through, okay? Shame's goal is to separate us from the effects of God's love that is given to us through grace. So shame comes to separate us from God's love, but grace initiates God's undeserved love in our life. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. In other words, before you were seeking for him, he was seeking for you. Before you even realized that you needed a Savior, he knew that you needed him. And I also want you to grab this part right here. It says, while we were still sinners. Because once you come to this side, we're not living as sinners anymore. He gives us a, a new identity. We'll get into this a little bit deeper, but I want you to hear that.
But if shame is tolerated, it can become a stronghold in our life. And this is how we recognize that it's become a stronghold in our life. We interpret situations through the lens of shame and pain. We imagine false motives in people because of shame and pain. We can't even allow somebody to do something nice for us because we're looking for an angle. Why do they want something for me? Everything, everything is based on how I'm seeing it through my hurt. And we construct walls like a fortress in an attempt to insulate ourselves from more pain. But really, what we're doing is just trapping ourselves inside. So how does grace combat the stronghold of shame? 2 Corinthians 2.10 tells us. 2 Corinthians 2.10, 4. And five, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, the the weapons of our warfare are not human. But they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And that's what shame is. Shame is an argument raised up against the goodness and the grace of God. Because it tells you that you're the one person living on this planet that God's love can't get through to. You're the one person that has suffered so much that God can't break down your walls. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, there are many weapons that we could talk about because God's given us weapons. He's given us prayer. He's given us the word. But this morning, we're talking about grace. And you may have never heard of grace as a weapon, but grace is a weapon in your life. Grace leads us to repentance. Repentance. Sometimes that seems like such a big churchy word, but repentance really means that we change the way that we think about a subject so much that we do opposite of what we have been doing. So God's grace leads us to a place where we begin to understand and we begin to see things differently and we understand God differently so much so that we stop doing what we have been doing and start doing what he's called us to do. Grace allows us to identify ourselves as the children of God. I'm going to tell you, the hardest thing to do as a pastor is to get somebody to identify with Christ before they identify with whatever label they want to put on themselves. Because this world is full of labels. I'm a this, I'm a that. I've been through this. I've been through that. And everybody wants to label themselves with something. And I'm not saying that you haven't suffered trauma, that you haven't had pain. But if we don't identify with Christ first, that's not going to change. Grace manifested in our life 
destroys the argument of shame and allows us to take captive our mind and our emotions. That's where the battle is. That's where the battle is. The separation of shame argues that God is distant, disinterested, cold, or uncaring. You ever felt that way about God? God just doesn't care. Shame wants to separate us from the effects of God's love. But grace proves that God initiates intimacy. He initiates affection. And he is as involved in our lives as we will let him be. Grace initiates love and power in our lives so we can live above shame. And listen to this. When we feel separated from God, we are believing the argument of shame. When we feel separated from God, we're believing the argument of shame. Because the Word tells us He will never leave us nor forsake us. The Word tells us He sticks closer than a brother. What do our feelings have to do with it? It's how I feel. We're listening to shame. And we're saying, I'm so distant from God. God has given up on me. God has walked away from me. And it's not the truth. Grace tells us that God is there. Romans chapter 8 says, What can separate us from the love of God? As Paul is writing, he's got a list there, and he comes to the conclusion, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if nothing can separate us from the love of God, but I feel separated from God, who's wrong? Who's missing it? I'm listening to shame. I'm listening to the argument of shame. Uh, when I was in the hospital last year, many of you know that, that I spent a few weeks in the hospital um, They have lots of nurses coming through, and you know the, the, you've got your day nurse and your night nurse. If you've, if you've never had the pleasure of laying in a hospital bed for a long, long time, they come and they go. And I had this, this, this nurse come in one time, and he, uh, he saw me. It happened to be Good Friday, and I was laying on, on the bed, and I, I was reading my Bible. And he walked in, and he said, oh, you're reading one of the Gospels. And I said, yes, I am. I said, since it's Good Friday, I thought that I would just read the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And the moment that I said it's Good Friday, all of the blood just drained out of his face. And he just hung his head. And he said, it's Good Friday? I said, yeah. He said, oh. He said, I'm such a terrible Christian. He said, I've gotten so far from God. He said, my mom would be so ashamed of me that I didn't know it was Good Friday. He said, I'm a horrible person. See, but the problem was he had allowed shame to fool him. But guess what? He walked into my hospital room. 
where grace does abound. <laughs> and I just begin to talk to him. So you're not, I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I do. But I haven't been to church in years. I said, that's okay. You know, church, church does not make you a Christian, as Pastor Sam says, any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Right? Church is good. I could go down a whole list of why we should be at church. But he was basing everything on the fact that he hadn't been at church in a while. So therefore, he must be distant from God. I'm so far from God. And I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Yes, I do. Well, then you're not distant from him. You're just not paying attention to him. He was like, wow, I never thought about it that way. We'll go on with him later. (laughs) Let's move on to our next point. Shame alienates, but grace penetrates. Shame alienates, but grace penetrates. Shame is a demonic lie whose goal is to alienate us from the effects of forgiveness. Forgiveness is given to us through grace, But shame wants us to to be alienated from the effects of forgiveness. Therefore, we will focus on sin. But grace penetrates the lies of shame with the truth of forgiveness by focusing us on Jesus. Do you get that? Because there are There are uh, places where you can go that they're going to focus on your sin. They're going to focus on everything that you've done wrong. But when we come into a relationship with Jesus and his love leads us to a place of repentance, we should no longer be focusing on sin. We should be focusing on Jesus. Romans 8.1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation to those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're feeling condemned, you're listening to the lies of shame. Because we're told right here, if you're in Christ, you got a relationship with Jesus, there is no condemnation. Because, as Psalms 103 tells us, 103, 10 through 12, he does not punish us for all of our sins. I didn't always hear that preached when I was a kid. I heard it preached, if you did something wrong, God's going to break your leg. But he does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us. As we deserve. We do deserve it. But remember what grace is. Undeserved. For his unfailing love towards us, towards those who fear him, is as great as the height of heaven above the earth. And he has removed our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. 
east from the west. Hey, even an Aggie can figure this one out. You go east, you're going to keep going. You go west, you're going to keep going. They don't meet. He has moved our sins as far away as the east is from the west. Why? So we won't identify with them. Grace helps us understand the true mission of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to get us to act differently, but to see differently. To see who we are in Christ Jesus. Jesus didn't come to get bad people to do good, but to get spiritually dead people to live. So therefore, Jesus didn't come to deal with sin. He came to deal with death. Ephesians 2.5 says that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. Sin is the fruit, but death is the root. We don't like the, the, the fruit of sin when we've, we've been acting up, because we all act up, don't we? And we start getting the fruit of our acting up. We don't like that, but God doesn't want to just deal with the fruit. He wants to deal with the root, the death. And when we are agreeing with shame, we're agreeing with death. The lies that shame brings alienates us from God by focusing on sin. Therefore, we believe that God's holding out on us. We believe God's holding our sin over us. We believe that he's holding our failures against us. Shame wants to keep forgiveness hidden. And therefore, we stay trapped. But grace penetrates the lie of shame and proves that God has forgiven us does not condemn us, and wants to pour life into us. Grace enables us to see ourselves as God sees us, forgiven, anointed, new creations with kingdom purpose. Back to my nurse. He came in the next night. So we'd had this little conversation the night before, comes in the next night. And I don't know if you've ever had a Jesus conversation with people and then you see them again and they're kind of like, oh, is he going to talk about God again? They're a little, yeah, I'm laying in a hospital bed. I got nobody else to talk to but you. So So he came in and he's tapping on his computer and he's going through all this stuff and he's, he's looking, he's flipping through books and he's checking stuff and he keeps going back and he's taking a long time. I'm going like, this guy's not very good at what he does. But it just seemed like it was going on forever. And he finally stops and in frustration, he says, I'm a terrible nurse. I'm a terrible nurse. He said, I used to be on days, but I couldn't keep up with everybody. I couldn't keep up with all my patients. So I went to nights because I only have half the the patients. I have to keep up with it at, at night, and I can't even keep up with these. I just, I don't know how nurses do this. 
And I looked over at him. I, I'm, I look over at You ever have these? You look and, and you speak before you even. I mean, God just spoke. I looked at him and I went, you have an engineering mind. I mean, he's beating himself up. And I looked at him and I said, you've got an engineering mind. And he stopped and he said, I used to be an engineer. He said, I'm from Ohio and I was an engineer. But I went through this really, really ugly divorce and I just had to get away from everything. So he came to Tyler and became a nurse. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, you're not terrible. You're not stupid. You're just doing something you were not created to do. You were created for a purpose. Were you a good engineer? Yeah, I loved it. You're doing something you weren't created to do. See, when we're being and doing things we weren't created to be or do, shame can get on us. But when we're doing and being who God created us to be, we are living in that place of forgiveness and love. And the kingdom benefits. All right, number three. Shame obliterates, I mean, shame obligates, but grace obliterates. Shame obligates, but grace obliterates. Listen, shame is a demonic manifestation of religion. Shame is a demonic manifestation of religion whose goal is to rob the effects of God's freedom given through grace by tricking us into believing we're obligated to earn it. I need to read that again. Shame is a demonic manifestation of religion whose goal is to rob the effects of God's freedom given through grace by tricking us into believing that we're obligated to earn that freedom, to earn that love, to earn that forgiveness. But grace obliterates the bondage of religion by freeing us from every obligation, penalty, and price for sin. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. If I just do something, if I'm good enough, I can get to God. That's the difference. I have people tell me, oh, well, you know, Christianity and this religion, Christianity and that religion, you know, they're all kind of the same. No, they're not. Because every other religion I've looked at is man trying to become something, man trying to go towards God. But God knew that we couldn't do it. We couldn't make it. Therefore, he came to us. That's grace. We don't deserve it. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. You can't take credit. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It is free. The only thing it costs you is belief. Hebrews 10, verses 17 and 18. Then he says, I will never again remember their sin or their lawless deeds. And when sin has been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. 
Why aren't we trying to pay for something that's already been paid for? Why aren't we trying to earn something that God has already given? But we do it. Well, you know, if I just fast, God will answer my prayers. If I, you know, if I just pray 10 hours a day, God will listen to me. Look, fasting is not twisting God's arm to get him to do something for you. Fasting is dealing with you. Fasting is putting you in a place to hear and receive. All right? Stop trying to earn it. You've already got it. But I don't deserve it. Welcome to the club. (laughs) None of us deserve it, but he gave it anyway. There's no more sacrifice for sin. It's already been forgiven. It's already been released. All we have to do is receive it. All right, we're now free to live as we were created to be. Galatians 5.1 says, So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Christ has set us free, so make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in the slavery of the law. Now, Paul was talking to people that were trying to live Jesus with the Old Testament law. And he's saying you don't need the Old Testament law. Jesus fulfilled the law. So all those old rules and regulations, he was saying now becomes slavery. Now, I doubt anybody in here is is that caught up over sacrifices. You probably didn't take a, a, a lamb someplace and sacrifice it for your sin yesterday. But we still get caught up in these things. If I just do this, God will do this. And that's not the way that it works with God. We've said this around here for a long time. Freedom is not the absence of something. It's not the absence of rules. It's not the absence of the law. It's not the absence of shame. It's not even the absence of sin. So freedom is not the absence of something Freedom is the presence of someone. The greatest expression of grace is the presence of God in our lives. But shame obligates us to try to earn God's grace and freedom. And when we try to live that way, it actually opens the door to other manifestations of pain, like anger, rejection, hopelessness. Isolation, fear, jealousy, perversion, depression. You could just go down a long list. When we're trying to earn it, it opens the door to other things. But the truth is all these things do is intensify the shame. But God's grace obliterated the need to earn love, to earn forgiveness, and to earn freedom. All right, here's the last bit of the story with my nurse. He was only my nurse for two nights, and he was, he was uh, given another floor or something, but he still kept coming to my room. And he would come in, and he would just sit down, 
the first time he did it, and I didn't understand what he was doing. He just pulled up a chair and sat down. I was like, are you telling me something? He goes, oh, no, 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 I'm not even, I'm not even your nurse tonight. I just wanted to come back and talk. And he came in, and he said, you didn't know this last night when we were talking about him being an engineer. He said, I just got an offer to go back to Ohio and take an engineering job. He said, after you and I talked and after you and I prayed, I went and I turned in my notice. He said, I'm going to be who God called me to be. See, the shame had gotten off of him to the place where he could see who he really was and what he was really supposed to be doing. And then it was easy to connect with his destiny. We've all experienced shame. Because we've all messed up. We've all missed the target somehow. But shame's end goal is always separation, alienation, obligation, and finally destruction. But we have a choice. We can choose shame or we can choose grace. And when we choose grace, it may be a walking out. I'm not trying to say, you know, it's some kind of, you know, magic wand, grace, ding, ah. We may have to choose grace every morning. Lord, I choose grace this morning. I choose grace this morning. I choose love this morning. I choose freedom this morning. I do not choose shame. Both Peter and Judas felt the shame for their betrayal of Jesus. So here's kind of a throw a wrench into everything type of question. Was Judas's betrayal greater than that of Peter's? Now, we've been religiously trained to believe so. Oh, you know, he sold out Jesus. So did Peter. Peter betrayed Jesus just like Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter, when he realized what was going on, it says he went out and wept. He was obviously sorrowful. He was broken. But the Bible also says that Judas, when he recognized that what had happened to Jesus, he regretted what he had done. See, if you really begin to think about it, the Bible tells us that that Judas was the treasurer. He kept the money bag. And John says he'd been dipping into it. And then he goes to the the religious leaders and says, how much will you give me if I tell you where he is? How much do you think he'd been dipping out? I'm going to guess about 30 pieces of silver. Because he agreed for that 30 pieces of silver. Now here's something else we need to, to understand. Judas had been with Jesus in the temple many times when, the, when the, the religious leaders wanted to arrest him. When people picked up stones to throw at him because he had said, I'm the son of God. And Judas had watched Jesus walk out of those. 
is there any reason to believe that Judas didn't think Jesus was just going to walk out of it? Because it says when he realizes that Jesus had been sentenced to death, he regretted it. So whose sin was worse? Peter's or Judas's? Peter was one of the first called to be a disciple. Peter was given heavenly revelation that Jesus was the Christ. Peter saw Jesus in his full glory when he was transfigured in front of him. Jesus prophesied that Peter would be the rock that the church was founded on. Yet he betrayed Jesus. He denied that he even knew him, not once, but three times. Peter was the man that declared, I'll die with you, Jesus. Peter was the guy that took a sword and tried to defend Jesus when they came to arrest him. But when Jesus needed him the most, he denied him. So whose sin was greater? Whose sin was greater? Just looking at it with, with, with an open heart and an open mind, here's the difference. Peter made it till Sunday. When Jesus rose from the dead, one of the first thing he said was, hey, make sure Peter knows that I'm alive. And this is just, just me questioning. What if Judas had made it till Sunday? There's a lot of people outside the, the walls of this church And they're hurt. They're living in shame. And the question is, are they going to make it till Sunday? Are they going to make it till Sunday? You see, I've messed up a lot in my life. I sold out Jesus. I've denied Jesus. But I made it till Sunday. So it's now my job to help other people make it to Sunday. I hope I'm not throwing you talking about Judas. I can see just, you know, people's minds just spinning. I'm here to tell you that the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus is for everybody. There is nobody that has gone too far. People ask me sometimes, why do you give that person so much time? Why don't you give up on that person? Because they need to make it till Sunday. Is today your Sunday? Is today the day that you get freedom from shame the Bible says everybody has sinned and come short of God's glorious goodness we've all done it but do we live in shame or do we run to Jesus 
Because shame will push you away from God. But grace draws us in. What I want you to know, you are not obligated by shame to pay for your past mistakes. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel grace penetrating the wall of shame that you've erected. And what do I want you to do? I want you to allow grace to obliterate the bondage of shame in your life. Will you pray with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. And Lord, I just thank you. I thank you. I thank you. For grace I thank you for grace grace that has changed our destinies changed our lives grace that brought us into the kingdom of God so I can identify as a child of God and Lord this morning I just pray over everybody in this room Lord, and I just stand against shame. Lord, as, as they are receiving it, I know that they have to do it. They have to say, Lord, I'm tired of the shame. I want the grace. And if that's you, just, just begin to, to say it. I want the grace. I want the grace. I'm tired of the shame. But Lord, I pray over them that they have the boldness to let go of the past, the boldness to let go of something they've identified with, the boldness to see themselves in a different light, the boldness be who God has called them to be. Lord, we're going to take off shame. We're never going to be ashamed. We're never going to be ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of my past because you paid for it, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, I thank you for setting us free. In Jesus' name. Amen.